Hi guys and welcome to The Sweet Spot on a Farm, episode 26, part 2. This is the second half of my interview with Heiko of the Portaferry Permaculture Project. And if you haven't listened to the first half, I recommend that you do. Uh, we took a walk through Heiko's wild garden and talked about permaculture, the history, the ins and outs, the principles and the public garden on the Oxford Island Heiko is involved in building. And if this is the first episode you're listening to and you've absolutely no idea what this podcast is about, then The Sweet Spot on a Farm is a podcast about healthy living. I talk to um, a variety of professionals whose background is in natural health, fitness, organic farming or healthy eating and basically anything that supports our health in as natural way as possible. And we also talk a lot about food and share plant-based recipes. In this episode, we talk about foraging and seasonal eating and Heiko shares a plant-based recipe that you can also find in his book. Enjoy! So you um, came to Porta Ferry and when did you uh, decide to f um, start the Porta Ferry permaculture? Day one. Project? Day one? <laughs> okay, so how long has it uh, been in existence? Four, four years. If people want to learn a bit about, firstly, what do you do with the project? How, how does it work? How can people get involved? Um, how can they learn? Do you organize any... Um, um, obviously, we're talking about the gathering, but do you organize any, any group sessions or how can people learn? Yeah, I mean, like I've, I've started doing this more organically, let's say. Um, if people contact me and they want to come and visit or they want to come and volunteer, we take a lot of volunteers. We've had, had uh, I think, probably about 200 volunteers in the four years they've been here um, that come here from all over the world. Um, they're, they're welcome. Um, I have done a few courses but because we're a little bit off the beaten track here I have, I have trouble actually getting the numbers um, and um, I don't really fancy setting up a course um, and then just getting two or three people turning up you know so um, uh, which has happened so I, um, if people want something at, um, whether it's foraging whether it's anything to do with permaculture I'm happy to be there um, Finding another few people will come, let me know, and I'll do it, basically. I'm very flexible on time, um, and um, I'm always happy to, to share my time. If people want to give me a donation for it, happy with that as well, although um, money is something I've never quite um, got the hang of. Um, so, <laughs> um, but basically, yeah, it, it's, I'm, I'm doing this kind of more organically. Um, I, I have a, obviously a, a Facebook presence. I have a wee blog, which I don't do a huge amount on, but people do contact me through these and come and visit and, you know, and, and um, I'm happy, happy to help people as well. If people want to want advice in their own gardens, you know, um, uh, happy to help, basically. And this community garden, how did that come about? How did you become involved with that? And how can people get involved? Uh, basically, um, there was at the, at the last All-Ireland Gathering, which actually coincided with the European, um, the, the, the biannual European um, convergence, permaculture convergence, which happened, both happened together in County Wicklow la last year, last summer. I was involved with the organisation of that. And um, 
at the time the the organizing this was always just like the same organizing team that's been doing the the all our gathering for seven years and they kind of sort of said look uh we're we're, we're getting a bit tired of this you know can we regionalize that after that we're more localized and so um i bumped into a guy called wayne wayne highlands who's um who lives in lurgan um and who then just started a job um at the bushcraft center in, in loch Ness. And he said, look, um, I've already spoken to those guys. They were quite keen of uh, hosting something, or putting up a permaculture garden um, and, and, and things like that. Um, so I said, yeah, let's let's make a deal right now. We'll do it, you know. So that, that's so a few more people got involved. We sort of get sort of around 10, 10 people, 10, 12 people turning up uh, whenever we, we gather. Um, we got the basic design ready. So um, there's a, there's a Facebook page called Northern Permaculture Gathering. So you can just go in there and see what's happening, or you can contact us through that, um, and people can just turn up and and uh, it's usually very informal, you know, just do a little bit of work and have some lunch together and have a chat, and there's usually a bunch of kids as well, so it's 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 good fun. That sounds really good. Um, how how can people? Um, how is it going to work? Like how how can people get involved? Can they um, apply to get a piece of allotment, or is it going to be just no? It's public it, for it, it's, it's public for everybody. It's 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 one. It's a large piece of of, of essentially grass at the moment, um, uh, right next to the bushcraft center. Um, it's a big piece, and um, people can come up. And then we basically did a design for this whole thing. There's going to be a mandala garden in the back there, and there's various other demonstration projects basically mini demonstrations sort of thing of things like a hugel culture which is like a pile of wood with compass on top which um, uh, would you grow stuff on um there'll be sort of mushroom logs there'll be um tree gills basically sort of tree with complementary plants around it um various and we're going to do a lot with um perennial plants the beauty the beauty about permaculture gardening in particular is that it it reduces your work basically. It's much less work than it, than, than than your conventional gardening. You do a lot less of the weeding. You do a lot less of uh, like uh, I'm I'm totally no dig. Um, I don't I don't dig unless I plant a tree sort of thing. Obviously, I have to dig a hole or so. But other than that, I don't dig. I mean, I don't even dig for my potatoes. I I, um, I grow I plant potatoes on the surface, um, on top of cardboard. Um, and then just keep putting mulch on top. Um, have chickens and, um, and and straw, so that the straw from the from the chicken shed just goes on top of the potatoes, and they start growing. At the end of the uh, the year, I just go rummage around for the potatoes with my hand. I don't even need to dig for those. So uh, basically, it's 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 a lot less work. I mean, as you see, my garden, which kind of goes beyond uh, permaculture towards. Um, natural farming um minimal interference farming sort of thing you know um it it makes a lot less work sort of thing you know so um it's 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 a great wee thing and it's and it becomes very productive you know sounds pretty good to me because i remember my grandparents when constantly work in the garden and we as us as grandkids we were constantly being asked to weed the garden and mm. hated it oh my god i hated gardening <laughs> well exactly you know i enjoyed picking the fruit yeah but exactly I hated the gardening. <laughs> yeah i mean i do very little i mean sort of okay occasionally i do uh, i sort of need to clear a little bit or i, I chop down the, the the nettles when they take over i literally chop them down i don't pull or anything like that i just chop them down with it with a scythe and and um um Obviously, nettles you can eat as well, of course. But I mean, like, uh, 
I have I've absolutely I've minimal interference gardening, um, and I always find food um, in my garden. It, it really does feel like foraging, mm. what you're doing. I mean, you're foraging in your own garden, but that's kind of what it feels like. And actually, that leads me to... Uh, the next part of uh, what I want to talk about, and that is your foraging experience. So you mentioned that you learned to forage in in Italy, and then you wrote the book. Um, and I do have the book, actually. I do have it with me. Um, oh yes, you have a copy handy. So um, I actually this is this is how we met. Actually, um, Heiko uh, came to uh, my uh, launch. Uh, uh, launch um, event uh, when I self-published my my own book and and we swapped uh, swapped our books and and Heiko's book is called a uh, light food guide to foraging wild foods by the wayside and it's a really good guide uh, which gives you an idea how how to forage how to approach foraging and it, it gives a really good list of um, plants and uh, and and fruits and kind of wild foods that you can find in in Europe and and in here as well and um, I do find it really useful although I'm still pretty useless as rec at recognizing most of the stuff but it's a really really good book for anybody who wants to start doing this mm. uh, doing this stuff and finding uh, foods in a, and it's a really small handy book it's it's like a pocket book i mean you can you can you can stick it handy in your in your handbag or, or backpack how did you come about writing this book what what led you to it my my foraging history goes back slightly further since i was a teenager really i mean you you mentioned earlier that you used to go around and picking stuff uh, with your granny sort of kind of like that as well i mean when uh, i grew up in a council flat um so we didn't have a garden uh but um it was like a bit of a ghetto really but it was the the, the um the good thing was it was the edge of town so we were out out in the country very quickly now we had a love for 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 the countryside i always needed to get out and um um so uh we were picking <clears throat> berries with my parents and, and occasionally wild garlic a few things not nothing much you know but sort of the 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 uh regular stuff and then i had a friend uh, uh when i was maybe 12 or something uh, who who was with the scouts who was who got into picking medicinal herbs or things like again sort of the, the regular ones dandelion and planting and birch leaves and whatever stuff like that you know <clears throat> So um, I was sort of interested from from a young age. Um, when it really took off was when I was in Italy, mostly well for for two for three reasons really. Uh, one was uh, necessity. We literally lived five years without money, um, and uh, when you come to spring, this this the famous hunger hungry gap for for um, the self sufficient um, vegetable grower you have you've sort of you got a lot of stuff in the summer and the autumn um, you have preserves that can get you through the winter but by spring you're sort of running on empty you haven't got anything left you know and uh, and in spring there's so many plants that are that come out even even here in northern ireland um, that, that you can pick that are their best in spring um, so um, it, <clears throat> it became literally through through necessity um, that that we that we just started picking things. The second was that we were the area we were in. It was particularly badly hit um, during the war in the area in Italy, and um, and people were starving during the war, and they were literally going around um, foraging for survival. I mean, they were lucky enough to have chestnut forests forest, uh, right above them, so that uh, sustained them a lot for, for carbohydrates and stuff. 
but also for over all the greens and all the old people in the village, they were still doing it. They were, they still remembered those days. And I mean, like I remember going around little country alleyways and, and, and um, some old ladies all of a sudden disappearing into some hedgerow and coming back with a bunch of greens. And I'm going, wow, what's that? You know, it's wild asparagus. What you find that in there? You know, amazing. You know? <laughs> so I thought, fantastic. I can do that. You know, so I just kept looking over their shoulders and see what they were doing. And, um, and it was just fantastic, you know, and, and we find all these amazing things. And I, knew, I started learning that you had to be, for certain things, especially in a culture where there was still a lot of foraging, you had to be early for these things. So wild asparagus, you, you had to look at your spots uh, well in advance, you know, knowing where they were going to be. And then when they would come, be the first one there, you know. <laughs> and then I remember once, the first time I managed to get a really nice big bunch of wild asparagus and I hid it in the in the bag and I walked back into the village and uh, somebody saw me with, just with the bag. You couldn't see what was in the bag, but the, uh, somebody saw me coming back into the, into the village and said, oh, you find some wild asparagus. <laughs> they obviously went gone. <laughs> so, so how do you know? <laughs> I'm just carrying a bag, you know. <laughs> So, so um, and, and then the, the third reason was that um, that particular area was uh, was extremely biodiverse. Um, I mean, literally within an hour's walk of, of our house, I could find over 150 different species of edible plants. Um, and I was still learning new ones. And this is not counting mushrooms. This is literally just plants. Um, so um, it was just a total eye opener, you know. And then, and then, yeah, the book that came about because I got contacted by through my blog at the time by um, some publishers of who were writing a guide uh, to a pilgrim route called the Via Francigena <clears throat> from Canterbury to Rome. And um, they sort of um, they were having trouble finding a good route. They basically were on on that pilgrim route but they were finding it difficulty finding a route um, over a mountain behind us because all the maps were wrong of that mountain so i said would i know a route and i said yeah sure i can show you and so they came along and i showed them the route and while we were going along and as you do you know said, oh and you can eat that oh, that there you can eat and every every a uh, meter or two, you know, I point something else edible. And he said, whoa, you know, you should write a book about this. I said, you're going to publish me? He said, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they did. Uh, it's a very small publisher. They're actually based in France. They're English, but they're based in France, um, mostly for, for pilgrim routes, guides to pilgrim routes. But um, it sort of kind of tied in with that because pilgrims walk along there and they can pick up stuff while they're wandering around. So, um, uh it was was a really good way for me to kind of organize in my head what what I was actually what knowledge I already had uh, and uh, it took me a year to write and uh, in the end I was just fed, fed up I could have carried on writing for another two years but I, I'm kind of I've promised I'm writing one for Ireland a complete one for Ireland um, oh wow that's gonna be a huge book because this is really handy you can really it's really light actually um where can people is it still available to buy and it where, is still where can people buy it they can buy it from me they can buy it from the publishers themselves they're called pilgrimage publications you can buy it on amazon but um Amazon pays me peanuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm there right with you. <laughs> I know. They pay you absolutely sort all. So yeah, I, sort it out, Amazon, seriously. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, 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 if, if I sell one by hand, I get about four fifty for it. If I sell one through the um, publishers, 
It's still about four euro, just under four euro. If I get it through uh, uh, Amazon, I get about 65 cents. Oh, wow, Or pence yes. or whatever. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yeah, pilgrimage publications, they're called. So you're foraging. Do you do any foraging uh, walks? Uh, do you teach people how to forage, how to find food? I, I, I do, again, mostly uh, by request. Um, although I have... There's a festival coming up in Port of Ferry in mid-March. Yes, and I should know the dates, but I can't remember. Yep, I, I, I've, I've got it ready this. here. Hang on. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, it's called the Ostara Festival of Natural Health and Well-Being. It's organized by a friend of mine called Hillary. Um, and it's on the 23rd and 24th of March. Um, me and another forager will be doing um, a foraging walk along the shore here in Port of Ferry uh, at 9 o'clock in the morning each morning. Um, that early because that happens to be low tide then. Um, so um, we'll be doing, looking seaweeds, but also land um, uh, plants. Um, take about three hours. I think it'll be about a ten or two uh, per head to to join, and um, uh, that's at, at the um, car park of the aquarium uh, behind Fiddler's Green Pub. In Portaferry, 23rd and 24th of March. So guys, do put this in your calendars. I, I will try my best to, to um, take part in this because I really, really love to do that. I don't, I don't think she's got the program quite finalised yet, but uh, it, it's been agreed that this is it, it's going to happen. There'll okay. be other things going on at that festival as well, so it should be really interesting. There'll be um, uh, all sorts of uh, holistic healing and and, 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 and and all sorts of stuff like that. So um, there'll be... There'll be um, um, Products for sale. It's, it's sort of. You should bring your book, actually. Uh, we do. I, it, I, we, I will. You to sell. <laughs> I will. Because <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's. I I swear to you guys, it's it's a really good book to have. Um, so tell me this. Um, what are the plans for your permaculture project, and are you going to incorporate the foraging? And uh, do you have any any, any immediate or, or long term future plans where you'd like this project to go? I kind of live in the now. <laughs> I mean, like, um, I'm. I'll be honest with you. I'm not massively optimistic about the future. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if we'll be able to turn the corner as far as environmental destruction is concerned, uh, climate change, and all the other stuff. Um, I'm sorry to say, but <laughs> um, I'll I'll still carry on doing what I'm doing. Um, but I'm certainly not planning. There's all sorts of stuff that I don't even want to think about. Um, Basically, it's, it's I, I just go, grow it organically as, as it happens. You know, if people are interested, I mean, we have people coming here, as I say, we have a lot of volunteers coming here and they often come back with, with ideas, with new ideas, with and being inspired. If we can do that, you know, if we can show people there's a different way of living, you know, you don't have to be in the rat race, you don't have to... Um, uh, do all these things that you're expected, you don't have to consume all sorts of useless crap. Um, you can live healthily, balanced. Um, you know that that's 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 all I'm about, sort of thing. You know, as I say, when I was younger, I was doing a lot of um, campaigning. I do a lot less of that too these days because I mean, after forty years, you get bored with it, to be honest. And people still don't listen to you. You know, so I well, mean, I that, do. <clears throat> eventually, you started campaigning against plastic forty years ago, and look, forty years later, someone finally listens. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, uh, on anti-nuclear and whatever, you know. I mean, there have been some small... Uh, we've won some small skirmishes over the years. I mean, like, uh, I was uh, most of my campaigning time was in Germany. And they 
are stopping nuclear at least um but other places don't you know and this sort of uh, you win small skirmishes and you still lose the battle sort of thing you know so um, every now and then you know so late over oh, what yesterday or day before yesterday it was about insects being basically extinct in about 100 years you know, if that happens, you know, Less that's... Less than 100 years. They, uh, yeah. were, they, they, they were talking several decades. It could actually happen in my lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and th- that is t- a total c- catastrophe, you know. Well, that is catastrophe. And I don't think people realize yeah. that we need bugs. Like, yeah. without bugs, like, we actually can't survive. Exactly. Exactly. There won't be any food. There won't be any, any pollination. There won't be any any birds. There won't be... Any, the whole thing is going to collapse, you know. Um, you know, it's the bottom. It's the bottom of the pyramid, so to speak. You know, and you. But take you know, this... I think that's that's why we need project like like yours. Like we need mm. we we need projects like permaculture projects. Yeah. We need people to learn about organic farming and realize that actually, um, growing um farming on large scale using pesticides really isn't the way to go because we're literally killing the planet well actually we're not really killing the planet the planet will survive it always did i mean it was here millions of years Mm -hmm. but uh we're we're killing uh, Killing actually the human species taking several other species with us as we go you know i mean like um and it's it's yeah absolutely it's we're we're totally reliant on other species to live absolutely absolutely Um, yeah so yeah, we need you. Uh, yes. Don't don't, uh, don't stop doing what you're doing. I'm, no, I'm doing what I'm doing here. It's just um, you know, um, as I say, my my door's open. You know, anybody can um, contact us. I mean, and come and visit and whatever, help out or you know, want any advice or anything at all. Um, that's that's what I'm there for. I mean, I've got, got a good few years. Um, experience behind me now as well so i mean like, um, actually that, that's a good that's a good point if if people do want to contact you um how can they get how the, how can they get in touch with you whether to buy the book or whether to um get a bit of advice or whether to volunteer in the permaculture project or or the public garden um how can for here we, i've got the, the facebook page portaferry permaculture project um so um you can contact me through that um, uh, for the garden in Loch Ney, that's uh, the community garden, that's uh, the Northern Permaculture um, Gathering. They're both on Facebook. Um, unfortunately, um, I'm, I'm a little limited when it comes to social media. I'm doing Facebook and I'm doing nothing else, really. Whatever you think of Facebook, and I know a lot of people don't like Facebook for various reasons, and I can see why. Well, I mean, I think even if you're not on Facebook, you can probably... Do you have an email address where people could drop you an email? I, I do, doubledutchhaiko at yahoo.co.uk. Double Dutch? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Heiko at yahoo.co.uk um, So if you're not on Facebook, you can get uh, Heiko in there and drop him an email. Uh, and now, this is going to be a really interesting question. Well, it's not an interesting question, but I hope the answer is going to be interesting. <laughs> with all the stuff that you got growing in your garden. Mm-hmm. Um, I always ask people um, about their diet and, and about yours is going to be heavily plant-based. I can tell by the stuff you, you have in your garden. Mm. Do you have a favorite? For first of all, what is your diet like? What what is it that you normally eat? What's what's your uh, what's your um kind of eating habits? And and secondly, do you have a favorite vegetable? And what is it? Right. Okay. Um. The the first que- first part of the question. Um. Yes. Uh. Variety is actually my 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 key word. It's 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 like biodiversity with everything. Um. There's there's one thing that I learned about. Uh, foraging when we, we relied heavily on foraging for for the majority of our um, um, diet um, whatever 
food is in season and local to you is exactly what your body needs at that time and place. And this is absolutely true. So if you think of it, I mean, like uh, when we lived like like that, you have in the spring, you have all these fresh young greens um, that are mostly, they're really cleansing for the system. They, they, if the, the water, the water works, the liver, all that sort of stuff. They're all really cleansing for that, for that. Um, so you, you, you cleanse your body totally in spring. And in summer, you get all the relatively high, uh, sugar uh, uh, plants, the, the the summer fruits, the tomatoes, and all that sort of stuff that gives you immediate energy. Your your days are longer. Um, you're more act- active outside, well, unless you work in an office or something. But I mean, in, in general, if you like work that live that type of type of outdoor lifestyle, you, your days are just generally longer. So you need this immediate energy that uh, that gets converted quickly. Then by autumn, you get the, the nuts and the root, sto- uh, root crops, which are high in starch and high in, high in um, uh, carbohydrates, which gives you slower release energy and um, builds, builds your body fat up for the winter, uh, for the lean winter months. A lot of them are storable as well, so you keep eating them during the winter, plus your preserves. And by spring, you've been eating these starchy foods for, for, for all those months. Um, you need it cleanse your, your system again so that that um works so totally well the answer basically is um eat as much local and as much seasonal as you can don't eat strawberries in the middle of winter don't eat tomatoes in the middle of winter i mean unless they can tomatoes that have been actually like they've been been fresh when they were in season sort of thing you know um but i mean like uh, just eat seasonal um be much much more aware of what's seasonal and what's local you know, I mean, okay, um, I, I I do like um, the odd orange, but I mean, like, I very rarely ever eat a banana or an avocado or anything like that because uh, they're not from here. Avocados cause huge environmental damage in, in places like, like, like Mexico and Central America. Um, so there's that base. So variety is, is the key, basically, as much as possible. There's so many different plants you can eat that you didn't even realize you could eat you know i mean there's so i saw in your garden <laughs> yes <laughs> there's literally i mean probably about 80 percent of plants you look at was, uh, you could have would have some edible or medicinal use i mean certainly in this climate here i mean if maybe it's different if you go to to the tropical rainforest or so um there, there's so much competition there'll be far more poisonous plants um, because they're trying to protect themselves but i mean here in our climate virtually everything's edible there's very little that'll kill you um look, there are a few things and don't don't get me wrong so if you don't know what you're doing don't go and just nibble at anything but um, um there's more edible than it's not edible and the more variety you get the more and it's wild foods as well have much more nutrient value as, as anything cultivated you buy in the supermarket uh, and as far as favorite is concerned okay I, I don't really have a favorite to be perfectly honest um uh, but one that i keep coming back to and eat a lot of and i, ha- and I know you're gonna ask me what are you gonna ask me next so this is why i'm gonna uh, uh say the sea beet the sea beet grows all around the coast here uh, abundantly all year round it's perennial it grows all over my garden it, uh, it i accidentally brought it in with some seaweed fertilizer at one stage where i brought some seaweed in from this coast and it has some sea beet seeds in it and it now grows all over the place even on my drive probably you're probably par- parked on some actually um, <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> um, it grows everywhere and it's got uh, it's it's the the wild relative of um, beetroot and um, swiss chard 
um, so more like into the Swiss chart direction. Because That's it, what it was reminding me of. It does look a little bit of. It definitely resembles Swiss chart. Yes, it is. It's it's left. That's the wild form of it. Um, and it's the nice thing. It's perennial, unlike Swiss chart, which is you grow it one year and then it's finished. So you can pick up. I mean, sort of in the winter, it's looking a little bit lean, but um, you can pick leaves practically all, all year round of it. So um, and and it's so versatile. You can, it's it's you could have young leaves in a salad, but mostly it's just sort of um, sautéed with something. You know, you can use it like like you would spinach or, or or Swiss chard or anything like it. So you can use it for just anything. You know, it's just totally versatile. So that's your favorite. Yeah, that's that's what I nominate my favorite. That's your nominate. Would you have a recipe that you could recommend to use it? Using yeah, see, I knew you were going to ask him. Yeah, I know. I always ask them. <laughs> I've got a recipe in my book, but I can run you quickly through it. It's it's a recipe that particular village in Italy where we lived called Ponzano Superiore. They have um, a five-day festival around this particular dish, and it's local to that village only. Um, you go five miles down the road from that village and people have never heard of this Scarpada, which is um, uses um, wild beet. I mean, in that case, it would be wild beet rather than sea beet, but it's the same kind of difference. Uh, they call it this Scarpada, which is um, a vegetable tart thing. Typically for the, what in Italy they call the cucina povera, the poor cuisine. Because people, when they didn't have money, they had to come up with recipes that were still tasty but uh, didn't cost much. So what they used um, as a as a as a pastry, they used a simple flour, water, salt. So if you needed it to be gluten free, you could I don't know, suppose use spelt. Spelt would be all right. Not for a celiac, for somebody who's gluten intolerant, probably. But for gluten free, you could use. Buckwheat flour. Could sort of uh, replace it with something else. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, basically flour, salt, water. I just make a dough with it. Take about a, th- a third off it. Um, take Roll out the larger part really thin, put into a pie um, dish. Um, and then you make a the, the filling, with which is, um, well, in Italy it would be wild leek. Alternatively, you can just use ordinary leek. Sea beet, wild beet, or Swiss chard if you can't find any, and uh, some kind of squash. Um, can be whatever's in season. If it's summer, then you use courgette. If it's in winter, you use any any old squash you find. It doesn't really matter. You sauté those three together till they're all nice and soft and mushy. Mix it up with some breadcrumbs. Uh, make it a bit more compact and traditionally you put in parmesan cheese if you don't use uh, use it you need plenty of salt and pepper in there because otherwise it gets a bit bland put that into into your uh, pastry um, roll out the rest of the pastry and put it on as a lid uh, plenty of olive oil on over it a bit more cheese if you if you're so inclined and then just bake it um, and um, as i say we're over five days festa festival in, in, in that village in, in, in Italy over it. It's, uh, it's, it's great, it's cheap, it's uh, really healthy and it's... Um... You know, that sounds really nice. I actually, I don't bake very much things. I, mm-hmm. I tend to steam everything, even my curries. I tend mm-hmm. to steam the vegetable and then mix it all together and just simmer it to heat it up. I try not to cook. Mm-hmm. If I cook, it's in a slow cooker at mm-hmm. um, 85 to 95 degrees, so it right. doesn't boil. Mm-hmm. But this sounds so nice. I'm actually going to try it. And I yeah. sauté it on over low heat, I mean, like um, with some, some olive oil, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. It, is, to make it is in the in, in my book somewhere. See so you guys, another reason why you should buy the book. <laughs> you get recipes for that. That's actually one thing before we... Yeah, it is, uh, yeah. Oh, yes. 
Scarpata. Mm-hmm. It's on page 13, guys. <laughs> if, you, if you have the book or if you, if you are going to buy the book. And another thing is, um, uh, you were talking about the seasonal eating. Mm-hmm. After uh, my book lunch, you sent me a really nice email mm-hmm. uh, as a um, kind of uh, review. Or yes, I did a little review on my, on my blog, actually. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, of my, of my book. And, I, um, and, and that's one thing you had, a little criticism, that uh, my book is very... Um, doesn't really focus on what is grown in here and mm. it's not really seasonal eating and it's not seasonal eating it wasn't it wasn't focused on that yeah, but yeah, i mm-hmm. took it to heart mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. actually ever since your email i paid a lot more attention to eating seasonally mm-hmm. and i have been trying to do it ever since mm-hmm. and do you know what it does make a lot of difference it does absolutely. on top of it mm-hmm. it's much cheaper to eat that way I've... because if you buy local uh, even if you buy organic, and if mm. you or it doesn't have to be certified organic, just mm. buying from local farmers, mm-hmm. you buy what's grown locally, what's in season. Yeah. You save so much money doing Absolutely. that, and it really keeps you much healthier. Absolutely, and Absolutely. you know it, the variety in winter, it's really great. Like yeah. you get so many good winter vegetables. Absolutely, and this this is it. I mean, it's it's um, I mean, it's what our body needs at that time of year for one, uh, but also. Uh, I mean the the um, uh, nutritious um, uh, content of a tomato in the middle of winter is is zero, yeah. Or a t- strawberry, it's literally and zero. To be honest, even the taste of it, it doesn't yeah. really taste good. It, and it doesn't exactly. Um, if you if you ever go to Italy and 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 uh, you're invited to, to a meal at at, um, uh, at a family the Italian family, they wouldn't dream of giving you like a tomato salad in the middle of winter. They wouldn't dream of it. Just they wouldn't do it, you know. So they just look at you in horror, <laughs> in absolute horror. They wouldn't do it, you know. And yeah. this is the country of tomatoes, you know. I mean, um, they just wouldn't dream of it. So it's it's there's just there's still much more awareness in 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 places like Italy of of real food, real eating. Um, here, people. Uh, they kind of lost it, you know. But I have to say that your your traditional, basically, of seasonal eating and, and probably of simple eating as well. Uh, I mean, using seasonal ingredients, it makes really tasty mm-hmm. food. Yeah. I mean, but um, anyway, um, guys, if you do want to get in touch with Heiko for uh, for either to get the book or or uh, regarding the permaculture project or anything else. Uh, give him a shout on his uh, on his email or find find the permaculture um Fairy permaculture project on on Facebook and uh, and do get in touch and I do I can't uh, recommend Heiko's book highly enough if if you do want to start foraging this is a really good place to start and and I, I guess uh, come and see Heiko in in, in March at, at the festival and go for a foraging walk sure and um thank you very much Heiko it's been great thanks for coming thank you. <laughs> So, for the foraging walks at the Ostara Festival in Portaferry, the dates you need to remember are Saturday the 23rd and Sunday the 24th of March. The meetup is, so far, at 9am at the Portaferry Aquarium. And do double-check this on the social media closer to the time in case of a change. Or contact Heiko via the Permaferry Facebook page to confirm the times. 
Remember that all the recipes shared on this podcast, and Heiko Scarpada is no exception, can be found on our Facebook group page or our Instagram, and um, you just need to look for the sweet spot on a farm. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you'd like to buy Heiko's or my own book, get in touch via social media or come see us at the Ostara Festival. Um, before I let you go today, um, I have a little surprise for you. When we finished recording the interview with Heiko, he took out an instrument. Uh, it's called the Bulgarian tambura. And he played a song for me called The Foraging Man. Now, I do apologize for the quality of the recording. I really wasn't prepared or equipped uh, for this kind of performance. But um, if you do come and see Heiko at the Ostara Festival or if you ever um, wander into the public garden in Oxford Island or go and see him in his own wild garden, if you ask nicely, he might play it for you again. And that's it for this week. Have a lovely couple of weeks. Buy some seasonal vegetables and make a simple, nutritious food because the beauty is in simplicity and that definitely applies to food too. And whatever you do, stay healthy. Until next time, bye! As ever week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair of Sinkwood Studios and Heiko of the Portafari Permaculture Project and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. Amen.
Not with organic foods, they're for the taking It just costs them a few precious time But we mint, mallow, or Henry the Good King Person come more wild time Open your eyes and you'll discover And be the plant so big and small And you can surprise your lover With a healthy meal at no cost